The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kathy. It's my joy to welcome a guest speaker this morning, Nicole Zazowski. For those who don't know Nicole, let me just provide a brief introduction. Uh, 10, 12 years ago, this young woman moving from California came to my office in Greenwich, Connecticut. I was running a counseling hub for New England at the time, and she interviewed to be a marriage and family therapist with us. And she walked in, and I'll never forget two things. One, she was so young, and two, she was so prepared. Uh, and immediately, I, I was actually on my way to Charleston. I had taken a job in the church planning world, a national job, but I said, we cannot not hire this young woman. She, she's so impressive. And over the last decade, she's not only impressive, she's anointed. Um, she's gone through a lot. If you've read her book, From Lost to Found, it is the best book on grief and faith I've ever read. So if you're going through something and want to understand grief within the lens of the gospel, I highly recommend her book, From Lost to Found. Recently, she just published a new book. I think it's being launched now, right here. No, right now, this month, it's called What If It's Wonderful? And it's a follow-up to her previous book. Um, she will be outside after our service. If you want to uh, buy a book, chat with Nicole, we encourage you to do that, get to know her. Nicole is uh, a graduate of Pepperdine University. She's a native of the West Coast. Any West Coast people here today? Yes, yes. Native of uh, Pepperdine, or excuse me, native of Seattle. Went to Pepperdine, then went to Fuller Theological Seminary. She runs a private practice as a licensed marriage and family therapist. Obviously, she's also an author, but more than that, she's a good friend to Carly and me. So we flew her down here to share uh, a little of her story, a little of her book, and what God has laid on her heart today. So can we welcome her with a One Fellowship round of applause? Perfect. Come on up, Nicole. Good morning. I am so excited and honored to be with you all this morning. This is a special place. Paul and Carly are special people to me, so thank you for inviting me into your church home. How many of you have ever had an opportunity or an experience in which you thought, this is it, this is the good stuff? Maybe it was an experience that you shared with loved ones, whether that was a vacation, a meal, an activity, or even a conversation. Maybe it was an accomplishment, a promotion, an opportunity, or a project you felt really proud of. Or maybe it was some kind of breakthrough in your personal life, physical healing, the restoration of a relationship, forgiveness in your heart, 
or personal growth of some kind. Now, when the, the disciples and other of Jesus's followers, there were 72 of them in this group that had just gotten to participate in the movement of the Holy Spirit. They, they got to participate in this miracle through the power of Christ, and they were all excited. And you, you know what it's like to be a part of a group that's excited. I just, I picture them uh, talking excitedly, having a skip in their step, and they're returning to Jesus, and they're, maybe they're debriefing that experience, you know, when you replay it, play by play, blow by blow. And yet when they encounter Jesus, Jesus tells them not to rejoice, but instead celebrate the fact that their names are written in heaven. Now, as somebody who has recently taken a deep dive into the spiritual discipline of celebration and understood that both the Bible and Jesus's life are bookended by celebration and that God deeply values celebration and the practice of joy is actually an avenue of emotional growth, spiritual growth, and relational growth. Jesus's caution to his followers was really interesting to me. Now, for years, I've read this passage and heard scripture telling me, heard God telling me to quiet my celebration in reaction to earthly joy, whether that's good news, personal victory, opportunities I've been given to use my gifts. And in turn, I've assumed that these gifts or these moments are not worthy of my attention or my joy. And I think we can easily misunderstand Jesus to be a bit of a killjoy in this uh, section of scripture. We mistakenly believe that he's somehow diminishing our delight, or we make the mistake of assuming that Jesus is only with us at the center of our suffering, and that he's not also participating with us in our joy and our celebration. We were talking earlier about how communion is a celebration. Um, that it is a rejoicing of what God has done. We get to celebrate that every week. He's done it again. And we might even hear that celebration is something that somehow takes us away from Christ instead of being an avenue that draws us near to him. But in this passage, Jesus is not trying to keep us from our joy or, or telling us that our joy is not holy. Jesus doesn't shame our success or disparage our dreams. Jesus is delighted by our joy. In fact, when it's joy that honors God, I love that Ecclesiastes 9.7, this is the message version, says, God takes pleasure in our pleasure. He delights to see his children receive his good gifts. So when God allows us to use the gifts he's given us and gives us opportunities to use those for his kingdom, it is natural and good to celebrate that. So why is Jesus warning us here? 
where is the caution coming from? And it's important to understand that Jesus' warning is more protective than punitive. The truth is, Jesus is not keeping us from joy. Jesus is more invested in our joy than we are. This warning is evidence that he deeply cares about ushering us into the fullest joy possible. God's gifts in us and around us are meant to be enjoyed, but we must know that they won't be enduring. Our accomplishments are meant to be celebrated, but we have to know that they're not going to be sustaining. I love this quote by Augustine that says, For though something be good, it may be loved with an evil as well as a good love. It is loved rightly when it is loved ordinately, evilly when inordinately. You see, Jesus knows our temptation to settle for what we think we want instead of what's going to set us free. He knows that we are easily tempted to live a life of comfort instead of calling. That we are so easily lulled to sleep by our own goodness instead of recognizing our need and relying on the goodness of God. And we're tempted to be confident in our own hard work instead of finding our rest and our confidence in the work of Christ in our lives. And the truth is we have been questioning God's desire for our good since the very beginning. Adam and Eve didn't take a bite of that fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil because they decided they wanted to be evil. They took a bite of that fruit and disobeyed God because they began to question if God really had their best interest at heart. The theme of the serpent in that story, over and over again, he repeats, but did God really? Does he really? He just plants this question. And they allowed the serpent to deceive them by telling them that God was withholding joy from them instead of ushering them into the fullest joy possible and lovingly keeping their hands off of what would ultimately destroy them. So like Adam and Eve, the enemy would love for us to believe that the joy that we experience in life's breakthrough and good news and success and dreams realized and the accomplishments of goals are not the appetizer, but the feast. And as C.S. Lewis said, we are far too easily pleased. Jesus is protective of our joy and wants us to experience the fullest joy possible. He doesn't want us to live a life where we are settling for less. He knows that eventually these things that we're tempted to say, this is it, this is the gift that could make me want for nothing else, are the things where the glitter starts to flake off. And we look at those gifts and we, we may still view them as good, but instead of 
this is it, we start to say, this is it? In my study of celebration, one of the feasts and festivals that I explored was the year of Jubilee. Now, this was a festival that was only celebrated every 50 years. And when we think of celebration, we tend to think of what is added to our lives. But this festival was all about release. And every 50 years, God's people would forgive all debts, they would release all slaves, and they would return land and all of their possessions to the original owner. And so when we look at this celebration of release, we understand that God was encouraging them. He was, he was ushering them into this place where they could keep a light touch on their material possessions and understand and celebrate that their ultimate security and joy was found in God. It was, it was their way of having empty hands to receive God in places where they may have been tempted to replace him. And it was their way of collectively being a people of hope by saying, this is good, but it isn't it. Jesus wants to reorganize what we love. Several years ago, I was asked to speak at a New England therapy conference um, up in Boston. Now, as a therapist, I get a front row seat to God's miracles all the time on my little couch in my little office. But there was something about getting to share my message on this larger stage that felt really exciting to me. And I thought, I've made it. God is finally using me in a really big way because I get to speak on this big stage. And it felt impressive and proof somehow that the work that I was doing in my little office mattered. Now, the thing about breakout sessions is that people have a choice as to which one they attend. And so I can remember standing at the front of my breakout session room and just hoping and praying that the seats would be filled. And I had to squish my disappointment when the time came to start and only about a quarter of the seats were full. Pretty sure we all could share a limousine. It was a very small group. But I began, and about halfway through my presentation, I shared a story in which I was at a loss for words, and I reached out to grab my friend's hand. And from that point on, I noticed a woman in the third row who had tears streaming down her face. And this continued from then until the rest of my presentation. And when the time ended, I stood at the front and there was a small line that formed for, for questions and she held her position firmly at the back. It was clear that she wanted to get time with me alone. She kept inviting people to go in front of her. And when finally it was just the two of us, she struggled to begin, tears still streaming down her face. And she told me a part of her story, a story that was largely characterized by homelessness, 
and abuse. And even then, I had to wonder what it was that I said that caused such the steady stream of tears. And then she hit me with this. No one has ever held my hand. I don't have a category for what I felt in that moment. And I didn't know what to say, but I did know what to do. I grabbed both of her weathered hands that told me the story that she had just shared. And I held them in mine and I said, I am so sorry for your pain. And it's my honor to hold your hand. And like the kid she never got to be, she lunged into my arms for a hug. Now that morning, it was the magnitude of the opportunity that had me saying, this is it. This is the good stuff. But in that moment where my celebration wasn't leaning toward myself, but toward the eternal joy of Jesus, I heard God whisper, this is it. Jesus wants to reorganize what we love. What if the dissatisfaction that we often feel is not just about discontentment, but about displacement? What joys, what gifts in our life, whether it's gifts God's given us to use or physical gifts he's given us to enjoy, are standing awkwardly in the wrong position in our hearts? What sits at the center of our affection will determine the satiation of our joy. What joys, what gifts need to be moved off center? Now, certainly life has heartache. It has disappointment. I lived a really long season right in the midst of this story that was largely characterized by change and loss. But as a part of that season for me, I'll raise my hand here and say, I had to look at my life and realize that a lot of the disappointment and heartache I was feeling was not just about the no or the loss or the missed opportunity, but because I was expecting more joy from the gift than it was meant to give. All of the gifts and joys we experience in this life are meant to be a mere appetizer for the joy that we get to celebrate in our relationship with Jesus Christ. They're meant to point us to the cross where we see the heart of God. And I just want to encourage you, if you're, if you're listening to this and you realize I've been feasting on appetizers for a really long time. That was me for many, many, many years. It's not too late to choose the better thing. Now, I don't like to make promises I can't keep, but I do want to promise you this this morning. When we celebrate God in his miraculous life, in his miraculous grace, we are not promised an easy life, we are 
promised joy. We will experience joy when we celebrate God and his miraculous grace. This is what it means to be people of hope. Receive God's good gifts with joy and with thanksgiving and celebrate those as an appetizer for the joy that we ultimately have in a relationship with Jesus. And rest confidently in the truth that Jesus is more committed to our joy than we are, and he will lovingly take our hands off of what might ultimately destroy us and allow Christ to reorganize what we love keeping him at the center of our affection where we will have a permanent reason to celebrate and say, this is it. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for being a God that is more committed to our joy than we are. Give us insight and wisdom and awareness to understand what gifts might be standing awkwardly in the wrong position of our hearts. Lord, use whatever heartache we might be experiencing in this room to give us empty hands to receive you in places we may have been tempted to replace you with lesser things. Thank you that you are where the joy is. And in your name, we have a permanent reason to celebrate and say, this is it. In Jesus' name, amen.